0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Bear Books Podcast with me, April Berry.
1: And me, Daisy Ray. And this episode, we have got two flash fiction stories for you written from the prompt that we gave out, which was cliché.
0: I have got to say that that was a popular prompt cliché because we've had quite a lot of stories in for this one. And it has been very, very difficult deciding which ones we were going to read out. To the point where they've overshadowed mine and yours.
1: But it is always nice to share other people's rather than just always our own anyway. It's kind of what we're about, isn't it?
0: Yes. And um, I mean, we do need to write our stories because we're going to be going into the anthology and forward planning, you see, looking forward thinking for the anthology at the end of the year.
1: Who are you and where is April? What do you mean? You organised forward thinking proactive.
0: It's not really my forte, that is it? I am very much lastminute.com in in anything and everything that I do.
1: We have got a little bit of a theme to the stories that we've chosen to read for you today. So as we said earlier, the prompt was cliche, but the two stories that we've both chosen for you were sort of male-centric, aren't we?
0: The majority of the stories that we actually got were male-centric, if I'm honest. It gives us an opportunity as well, though, to talk about a subject that perhaps is a little bit serious Yeah, Um, which we'll go on to talk about after Daisy has read the first story for us.
1: Okay. The first story we're reading out today then was submitted by J.A. Faber and they've titled it, It's an Uphill Battle, that old cliche. I spent most of today sat on my fat arse binge watching Glitch on Netflix, ordered Chinese for tea, chicken and mushroom with special fried rice, prawn toast and seaweed. Ate a solid plateful, which is ridiculous considering I would not move off the sofa for the rest of the night. Didn't go to bed until like 1.30am and at 430 I'm still sat up awake because my body's still trying to cope with the stupid and pointless amount of food I stuffed into it. What the fuck was I thinking? The other half of it is in the fridge, and I know I will bloody eat it tomorrow and relive this uncomfortable bloated nightmare. Oh, I'll eat it earlier in the day, and it'll be my only meal, or so I'll tell myself. That way it's justified, right? Except I know it's not true. It's a big fat lie. I will eat it earlier, then in the evening I'll tell myself I'm not having another meal, so it's okay to have nibbles like an entire family-sized box of biscuits or maybe a sheer bag of jelly babies. I'm talking myself into a self-fulfilling prophecy here, so let's see how bad it really gets tomorrow. For now, this is just another night. I sit here in the dark, wide awake, hating myself for being weak and overeating for like the 60th day in a row. And here I am, writing this far too honest entry about my day. And guess what? If I can't be honest here in the dark with myself when there's no one to judge where can I? So let's talk body image. What I see in the mirror disgusts me. I step out of the shower catch my reflection and shudder in revulsion before turning away. Occasionally I catch my reflection and just stand there in morbid fascination staring at the gut that is bigger than any woman at nine months pregnant and ready to pop. This is so much worse than that. There is no baby unless it's made of food and fat. The other thing is, I've now got this heavy fat excess that is so heavy it's started drooping down like some weird fleshy apron. There was a much sought after dick under that mess once upon a time. The worst part of being five stone overweight is the fat I carry around my neck. Not that I really have one anymore. It vanished under this fat suit I'm wearing, along with my manly chiseled jawline. I really am the very worst I've ever been in my entire life, both mentally and physically. And I absolutely don't know how to fix it. I'm shortening my own life because I've got no control. In theory, I know how to fix it. I'm an intelligent man. Eat less, exercise more. Don't eat junk in the evenings. Drink more water. But I don't do it, even though I hate what I look like. So why the hell aren't I fixing it? I'll have to come back to this one. I've been honest enough for one day. Suffice to say, it's complicated. I wish I could say all these things out loud, hoping someone, anyone, could hear me, see the real me, and help me because God knows I can't fix this awful, self-destructive life alone. Please help me.
0: That is a very poignant story.
1: That is so emotional. I feel quite drained just reading it.
0: Yeah. I will say that kind of reading that has struck a bit of a nerve with me. You know, I've spent three years sat on my bum. Mm. not getting any exercise and shoveling food in my face and again you know I mean I'm not suggesting I'm five stone overweight though I don't think I'm that far off it if I'm honest yeah um but it just shows and and it really it really does give a it, it's a it's a brilliant message that not everybody can just sort themselves out
1: yeah and it's I think the subtext in that story is that. All those negative feelings and that self revulsion that the character has is something that I feel that nobody knows about. That everyday life, he's probably some jolly, happy go lucky gets on with everything, a up chap sort of person. Yeah. And all of this stuff that we've just read in this story is deep down inside of him, probably screaming to get out, judging by that last line.
0: Yeah. I mean, in terms of male mental health, and yeah. I don't think there's enough support out there. I don't think that it's it's talked about enough because men are just supposed to be, and this is very stereotypical, but I think it is it is quite sort of it's it's still relevant today that men are just meant to go out there, get on with it, get on with life, provide for the family.
1: Yeah. There's a lot of stigma attached to mental health and men, isn't there?
0: And at the end of the day, there are more men commit suicide than there are women, aren't there?
1: Yeah, there are. There actually are. Yeah. It is awful, isn't it? Yeah. And it might be because they don't talk about it enough or feel like they can't talk about it enough.
0: But when you you think back, I mean, I, I sort of think back to when I was a child, but I don't think I ever remember seeing my dad cry.
1: Yeah. I think there are ways that men show their mental health or their struggles differently I think because men aren't meant to in inverted commas talk about that sort of thing they're meant to be men and tough and get on with it that maybe it comes out differently so they would be frustrated more or shout more yeah because they've got all this stuff inside them that they can't really talk about, and that must be really hard for them. But I would like just to say there is, um, I've been having a look at a website called mentalhealthinnovations.org, and there is a shout 85258 that men can text. So you don't even have to talk if you feel like you can't. There's a text service for men that are struggling with mental health. So again, it's shout 85258. If you are a male and you are struggling and you need to talk to somebody even in written word rather than out loud, the service is there.
0: I've also had a look on the Men's Health Forum as well. And there is a really good website called menshealthforum.org.uk. It's not just mental health, it's men's health altogether. Some of the things that they've got on there is time for your man MOT, mental well-being and COVID, men's health by numbers, Hazardous Waste, I thought that was quite a a catchy title. Okay. This week's first story has provoked quite a lot of profound sort of deep thinking, if I'm honest. Yeah. But the podcast's not all about lighthearted stuff. It is about, you know, raising awareness, which is one of the reasons why uh, the books that we're reviewing on this season are all LGBT plus books.
1: Some brilliant stuff that we are reading too. If we can highlight issues like we are today with men's mental health, then why shouldn't we? Just because we're not a male-led podcast does not mean that we don't care and we don't feel it's an important issue and needs to be said.
0: It's extremely important.
1: It is, yeah.
0: We will put some um, information as well on the podcast, Blurb.
1: It'll be our pleasure to share those links and the text service sometimes you know you want a silent way to let out your inside anguish if you like we are continuing the male theme for the rest of this episode because the second story that we've got april is going to read out for you so tell us about that one april
0: right so the second one that I'm going to read out is called Salt of the Earth. That's a good old cliche, isn't it? Salt of the Earth. Yeah, I like that. Uh, And that one was written by Sandy Biddle. So here we go. Father and son stand in front of the kitchen window in Lytton Street, smiling for the camera. Arthur had his arm around the shoulders of a short, stocky man in flat cap and braces who stands proudly with folded arms. Both had lived through one war, another round the corner. Albert's own father had worked as a miner at Radford Colliery, his sons following him down the pit. After hell broke loose in 1914, coal became as essential to victory for Britain as men going to combat. While some of the younger pit men chose to enlist, those with wives and families to support stayed at the pit. Arthur was a baby at the time, with older siblings and more to follow. But his childhood taught him to be resourceful. Finding an old wooden barrow at the nearby dump, he doorknocked for metal scrap to sell, in exchange for odd jobs and errands, while avoiding the local rag and bone man on his cart and a clip round the ear, or worse. Not for nothing was the colliery known as the bread and herring pit. It may be a cliche, but life was hard. The street-smart, funny, bright young man embracing his father had, like his brothers, started work at the mine at 15, the coal face soon after that, black dust and earth seeping into his blood. His elder sister Ada was one of the pit brow girls, picking dirt and stones from the freshly mined coal, a a 6am start and wooden clogs keeping their feet from the pile of debris, which was only cleared at the end of the day. Arthur had amassed some rally bicycle parts in the backyard, much to his mum's annoyance when pegging out the sheets or airing Dougie, the latest baby, in his perambula. So whilst not at the pit and not yet old enough to join his dad at the pub, he soon assembled a rudimentary bike for himself and mended others for a few bob once the word had spread amongst the neighbours. It was about this time, Arthur couldn't recollect the date, when Albert had the accident. An insecure roof prop, thickly obscured by coal dust, had gone unnoticed. He was lucky, a nasty head wound and a short spell in Nottingham General, subbed by his insurance. Kathleen claimed it must have knocked some sense into him or sent him do lally. She never made up her mind on the subject. At any rate, after much discussion and mutterings in the parlour late into the evening, the couple decided to rent a nearby shop to live on the premises and set up a respectable family hardware business. Spring 1939, rumblings of instability in Europe and newspaper boards whipping up speculation about the prospect of another war. Albert, nearly 60, would not be conscripted, though Kathleen lived in fear for her son's safety. By now, Ada was married and Clarice engaged. Then, on the 3rd of September, The unthinkable came around again as Britain declared war on Germany. Kathleen's worst fears were realised. Her elder boys were immediately conscripted. Arthur was sent to Osset amid the Yorkshire pits for military training, made a signaller and posted to France in early 1940. I know this because he later sang me songs of resistance and heroism. He never talked of tasting the French earth under fire or bombardment, but I can see him riding his rally, dispatching messengers between encampments. My dad, a proud man, salt of the earth, like his father and the father before him.
1: Wow, it's evoked quite a lot in me. First of all, it's another way that men are expected to be the breadwinners and go down the mines and it's a job that shortens people's lives
0: yeah
1: sometimes people feel like it's the only job they can do if they're not qualified to do anything else or if there isn't anything else available because of the area that they live in and going down the pits is what whole families do generation after generation and shortening their own lives all the dust all the coal dust it is a dangerous job to have and again They just get on with it because that's what families do. So there's that aspect. It's also a very visual story, I thought. I could see these characters and the lives they were living. And even though Sandy didn't even mention the types of houses that they were living in, I could see them too, like the old terrace houses with the ginnel down the back and everybody sitting out the back having a fag of an evening, talking to the neighbours. You could see all of that in like a subtext, even though it wasn't mentioned. And I like that about Sandy's style of writing. I think it's a whole picture, not just a written word.
0: And I've got to say that that last part of the story where she's saying about he never talked of tasting the French earth under fire or bombardment. I'm of an age where my father was conscripted into into the army in 1939 because he was 21 at the time. Yeah. Um, obviously, I mean, my dad was forty-three when I was born, which in the nineteen sixties—that's giving away my age as well. Look, in the nineteen sixties, it was—I was quite a late baby, really. Um, but he never talked about what went off and what happened. I mean, I know I knew a few bits more from his friends than anything else. He never talked about anything that went off.
1: It's almost like the men are protecting the women from some of the harder things that they have to go through
0: yeah it's it's funny actually i know this is pretty personal and, and again he's quite deep but my dad died when i was 13 yeah. and i remember that he had a friend called leonard and his wife were yeah. quite close and i remember them coming over not very long after my dad had died and as you do you're a kid you're ear in because obviously i'm yeah. really upset and, and everything and i i heard leonard talking to my mum. And my mum said to him, yeah, well, Eric never really much talked about what went off in the war. Yeah. And I remember Leonard saying to him, well, who wants to remember that?
1: I suppose that is another aspect of it. Yeah, that's understandable. It's an understandable way of thinking about it. You've lived it. Why do you need to tell everybody else and relive it? Yeah, it's heartbreaking though, isn't it, really?
0: It is heartbreaking, but those two stories that we've had on this episode of the podcast have actually been quite thought-provoking and quite deep and quite serious.
1: Yeah, I almost feel like we were compelled to choose those two, if you like. Yeah. Because they go so well together. And if we want to try and get a message out to our listeners, having two stories which are from... Possibly two separate sides of male mental health. Then if as much as we can cover, we will.
0: Yeah. Mental health matters.
1: Absolutely. A hundred percent. We want to do our bit.
0: Yeah, so as as I said before, Daisy will put out some blurb. She knows what it's called better than I do. Come on, what what's that stuff that you write that goes with the podcast?
1: It's going in the show notes. Oh, that's the one. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) We'll put the two websites that we've talked about. We'll also put the um, the text service, because sometimes it's not easy to talk.
0: No, it's not. No, not at all.
1: But it will all be there, and we hope that if you need it, do use it.
0: So what have we got coming up next week, Daisy? Because I forgot, <laughs> you don't seem to be able to contain your excitement at this book.
1: On the next episode, which is in two weeks, on a Wednesday, as always... We are reviewing a book called Spinning Tales by Bray Willows. I don't know if Bray Willows is a pen name or not, but it's a brilliant name for an author of this particular book because this book is full of secrets and magic and fairies and fairy tales. And it's just absolutely immense. It's everything I love in a story is in this story. I've read about two thirds of it at this moment in time as this podcast goes out live. And I love it. You know how you can tell a book is really good? It's because you don't want it to end. And that's where I'm at right now.
0: Well, I've just gone on to Bray Willow's website just to have a quick look. And her introduction says, I'm Bray. I'm a peanut butter enthusiast.
1: Brilliant. Coincidentally, I've just had a banana and peanut butter sandwich for my tea.
0: I quite like peanut butter with bananas, but... Only when I'm out cycling, it's really weird. It's a bit claggy, peanut butter, when you're trying to eat it.
1: It's nice with banana.
0: The crunchy bits get stuck in your teeth. Anyway, we're not here to talk about peanut butter. We're here to talk about Bray Willows. And I have got to say that I was actually I was actually quite excited this afternoon when my book turned up, duly delivered by my lovely little Amazon driver who sees me practically every week for something or other.
1: Absolutely fantastic. You are going to love it. I hope the, the author maintains this level of, oh, my God, this is brilliant. Can't wait to see what happens next level all the way to the last page.
0: OK, well, we shall see. I'm not enthusing quite as much as you because I've read the prologue in the book and thought, what?
1: It will become clear.
0: Yeah, I, I know you said it would, but I'm like, well, I've got no idea what this is anyway. Never mind. We shall see you all in a fortnight's time and we'll be chatting. All Things, Spinning Tales by Bray Willows.
1: Take care of each other. Till next time. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. You can follow us on Bear Books and Bear Books Pod 1 on social media. We'd love it if you could share the podcast with your friends. And thanks so much to everyone that's left us a review. If you're listening today and you haven't given us a review yet, please do. It helps other people discover us and their new favourite indie authors. We'll be back soon with more reviews and more flash fiction. See you next time.